Well, we've got a, we've got a lot of visitors here today. And uh, let me just say, this is, this is a time that we at the, at the Dallin Road congregation look forward to every year. I mean, uh, all the young people going, getting ready to go off to camp, that's really an encouragement for us uh, because it reminds us that there are a lot of young people out there who, who care deeply for the Lord and care about living his will in their lives. And that's an encouragement for us. This is something that I've actually missed for the past two or so years. I haven't been here for or two or so years, and, and, and now I'm back, and I'm glad I get to enjoy you guys as you're traveling on to camp. Uh, we'd like to invite you back. You know, if you're, if you're on, like Max said, if you're on your way back through, come and visit us. And also, we'd like to extend an invitation uh, to our teen weekend for you guys. Uh, our teen weekend starts June 21st. That's the weekend after you guys get back from camp. And we're going to be talking about something important. So we want to invite you to that. Now, some of you guys are saying, Ruben, uh, we're ready to go to camp. So don't preach up here for like an hour. Uh, don't worry. I'm not going to preach for an hour. Maybe 40 minutes, not an hour or anything like that. But you guys are excited. Y'all are excited to go to camp, and, and you, you should be. Camp is a good place. You get to go to a place where you are surrounded by spiritual people who are, who are trying to live God's will in their lives. Those are just the people that you're surrounded by. Uh, whenever you go to camp, you get to study scripture, study the scripture with wise people who can teach you uh, accurately what the scripture says. You get to go and hang out with some friends that you might not have uh, seen for about a year or so last time you were at camp, and that's fun. And you get to do all of that away from your parents, and I know that's sort of a big bonus. So this is going to be a great week for you, right? It's still a big bonus, right? Even for me, yeah. But this is going to be a great week. It's going to be a great week for you guys, and, and I hope, and I think most importantly, your faith will be strengthened by this week at camp for you all. But you know, the thing about camp is, the thing about camp is, it's not forever. After about a week, camp comes to an end, and we have to go out and live in the real world, a world where uh, most people are not spiritually minded. A world where people don't really care about studying the scriptures and a world where people don't care about you, your soul, your faith, and your uh, eternal security. We have to go back and live in that world. Now, some of you are saying, thanks for depressing us before we go to camp, Reuben. Uh, that is not what I'm trying to do at all. But we do have to recognize that the real world is not like camp. The, the world that we live in today is a faithless world, and in spite of us living in a faithless world, we are still called to be faithful people. So this is essentially what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about some things that we need to remember when camp is over, and we're going to look to Scripture to do this. There was actually a Bible character, or a couple of Bible characters went through a situation similar to this. They start out in a very spiritual place, surrounded by spiritual people, and as you move forward in their story, they have to leave that spiritual place uh, to be surrounded by worldly people, people who don't really care about their faith. Go ahead and open up your Bible to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, that's who I'm talking about. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to start reading here from verse 1. And this context is sort of introducing King Nebuchadnezzar and the situation that's going on during that time. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1, 
It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Down in verse 6, we see who, who this king brings in. In verse 6, it says, Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So we see that these four boys, they start off uh, in a spiritual place. They start off in God's land, surrounded by God's people, but they end up in a worldly kingdom surrounded by worldly people who didn't care about their faith. So in a symbolic sense, camp was over for Daniel. Camp was over for him. But there were some things that helped these four boys to live faithfully uh, while surrounded by faithless people. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about some things that we need to remember when camp is over, some things that we need to remember if we're going to live faithfully surrounded by a faithless world. So what are the things that we need to remember when camp is over? Let's turn over to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, in this context, we see uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that he wants interpreted. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a number of words that just get repeated over and over and over again in Daniel chapter 2. And those words are words like um, declare or reveal or make known. And the reason those words are repeated over and over again is because King Nebuchadnezzar has this, has this dream that he wants interpreted. And he calls his wise men and he's like, okay, wise men, I want you guys to interpret this dream for me. And the wise men say, okay, uh, well, tell us the dream and we'll interpret for you. Uh, but King Nebuchadnezzar is not playing that game. He's like, no, that's not how this is going to work. I want you guys to tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. And that way I will know uh, if the interpretation is true or not. That way I'll know if I can trust you. So uh, the wise men say, King, we can't do that. Just tell us the dream. And, you know, the king says, no, I'm not going to do that. And eventually the wise men say down in verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult and there is no one else who could declare to the king except God's whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. So uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's sort of in the dark here. He wants to know the truth but there's no one who could reveal the truth uh, to him. Well, there is, actually. There is. Let's pick up in verse 16. In verse 16, and you'll start to notice these words like declare, reveal, and make known uh, just be repeated throughout this context. In verse 16, it says, So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. 
It is he who changes the times and epochs. He removes, removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells w- uh, with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we have requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Uh, Down in verse 27, when Daniel actually starts speaking to the king, he says, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare to the king. However... There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This will be your dream and the the vision uh, in your mind while on your bed. And Daniel goes on to explain this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. So at first in this chapter, we see uh, no one can declare this dream. But here we see that God can. God can reveal the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's the lesson for us. Our God reveals. So what do we need to remember when camp is over? Well, when camp is over, we need to remember that our God reveals. And this is an important lesson for us because the world thinks that it has everything figured out, right? The world thinks that it has the formula for happiness. It has the recipe. It's figured it out. If you want to be happy, you've got to do this. And the world will tell you, look, if you want to be happy, you don't have to listen to what's in this book. You don't have to listen to what what God or whatever the men who wrote the Bible, you don't have to listen to what they say. If you want to be happy, then you do what makes you happy. You do you, boo-boo. Do what makes you happy. You know, they'll say, you know, look, if, if being uh, sexually immoral makes you happy, then by all means, do that. The, the problem with this is these people don't understand what true happiness is. You know, if we're going to know what true happiness is, then we've got to understand something. We've got to understand that uh, we're a lost people living in a broken creation. We broke creation because of our sin. But not only that, because of our sin, there's also a problem that's facing all of us. There's a problem in front of all of us. And true happiness is finding a way to overcome that that problem that's in front of all of us. I'm talking about death. Because of our sin, we all face the problem of death. And true happiness is finding a way to resolve that problem problem. And we are sort of in the same situation as King Nebuchadnezzar. This is not something that we can fix on our own. We can't figure it out with the help of the wise men or or somehow figure it out on our own. Uh, And, you know, we tried. We we, scientists and doctors try to fix this problem that we have. But the fact of the matter is we're not going to do it. God is the one who's able to fix this problem. And we've got to remember that our God reveals. Our God has revealed the fix. He tells us how to fix this problem of death. He tells us how to receive eternal life. You know, the apostles think like this. The apostles think like this. John chapter 6 in verse 66, we see that the apostles truly understand this concept. In this context, uh, Jesus had said some difficult things. He said some things that made many of his disciples leave him and go somewhere else. Uh, In John chapter 6 and verse 66, it says, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Oh, Peter says something important here. Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, Peter is saying, you've revealed the fix to this problem that's facing all of us. This is something that we need to remember. You know, the world thinks that it has all of this stuff figured out, but really they're just stumbling around in the dark like King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, when camp is over for us, when we go back out into the real world, we've got to remember that our God reveals. But that's not all. That's not all. Daniel chapter 3, please. In this context, we see King Nebuchadnezzar, he sets up this golden statue. He sets up this golden statue, and he wants everyone to worship and bow down to this statue. And if they don't, oh, then they face death. And uh, we also see in this chapter that there are sort of a repeating number of words again. Uh, words like uh, rescue or deliver are just repeated throughout this chapter. Um, as I said earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar set up the statue. He wants people to bow down to it. But uh, three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they, they refuse. They are, they are not playing this game with the king. They refuse to bow down to this statue. Uh, starting, in verse, starting in verse 12 of Daniel chapter 3, this is where the accusation is brought against them. It says, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? So in these verses, we see that Nebuchadnezzar says, look, you need to bow down to this uh, image. Uh, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you, and no one can save you. No one can rescue you. No one can deliver you from my hand. Now, the three boys just disagree with that. We can pick up reading from verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So these boys are saying something different from King Nebuchadnezzar, right? King Nebuchadnezzar said, no one's going to be able to save you. And they say, well, our God can rescue us. So that's the point of this chapter. The point is our God rescues. So when camp is over, when we're back in the real world, what do we need to remember? Well, we need to remember that our God rescues rescues. And we need to remember this because like those three boys, well, not necessarily exactly like those three boys, but we're going to go through trials and, and tribulations also. Like I said, we're not going to go through the exact trials and tribulations that those three boys went through because they were thrown into a fiery furnace. Like people just don't have those lying around today, do they? Like, hey, come and see my fiery furnace. No, that's, that is not how these things work today. But we do go through trials and tribulations. People will, will say bad things about us. They will, they will mock us because of the way we live our lives. I'll just give you a couple of examples. When you've got to miss the important ball game because you've got Wednesday night services, well, some of your team may not like that. You might get mocked 
for something like that. When you don't use the same language that everyone else uses because God calls us to be different, you might be mocked for that. When you don't have sex with you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever else, like everyone else is doing, well, you might be mocked for things like that. Well, during those times, we need to remember that our God delivers. And our God delivers in the most important sense. And I think, I believe it's the sense that these three boys were thinking about here in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, we start reading again from verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These three boys say something interesting. They say, look, our God is going to deliver us, which he did. He did deliver them. But they say, even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to worship that image. Why are they able to say something like that? I believe that they're able to say this because they understood that whether or not God delivers them from this life, God is ultimately going to deliver them. And that's most important. That is most important. You know, people may make fun of us, call us losers or whatever because of the way we live today. But ultimately, God is going to deliver us. And ultimately, we are going to have victory in him. We will not be the ones losing out on Judgment Day. So when camp is over, we've got to remember that our God rescues. Our God delivers us. But that's not all. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 teaches us another lesson. And in this context, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar he has another dream. And in this, or this time, he, he knows exactly who to go to. Right? He doesn't have to search around. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go to Daniel this time because he got it right last time. And it's picking up in verse 24. This is Daniel interpreting the dream for the king. And Daniel says in chapter 4 and verse 24, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king. You're going to be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field, and you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump with the, root of the, with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from the sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. In these verses, Daniel tells the king that you've got to recognize who truly rules. Uh, you've got to recognize that you're not in charge of everything. In other words, Daniel is telling King Nebuchadnezzar, you really have to watch your pride. And the thing about King Nebuchadnezzar is he does good sometimes and he does bad sometimes, but King Nebuchadnezzar does not listen uh, in this instance. Let's pick up from verse 28 of Daniel chapter 4. Verse 28, it says, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. 
Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, notice his pride here in these verses. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty? Uh, While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar has a pride that says, you know, I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who's ruling, but God teaches him otherwise. And by the end of the chapter, he comes to recognize this. Verse uh, 34. Verse 34, it says, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, he recognized eventually that God is the one who truly rules. And that's the theme of Genesis chapter 4. So what do we need to remember when camp is over and we're back in the real world? We need to remember that our God rules. And this is an important lesson for us because, you know, there are many people who just say God does not rule. There are many people who say, well, God doesn't exist. How can he rule me? How is he in charge of, of, of my life? And, and there are others who say that God rules, you know, oh, yeah, I believe in God. God rules. But through their lives, they don't live that way. By their actions, what they're really saying is, I'm in charge. For instance, someone might say, look, I know what God says on on homosexuality, but that was such a long time ago. I kind of want to just do what I want. Or someone else might say, I know what God says on drunkenness in the scriptures, but I I just want to live my life. You know, when people say things like this, what they're really saying is, I'm in charge, and God is not in charge. You know, there's a lot of people in our society like this. There's a lot of people in our society who's like King Nebuchadnezzar who says, I'm in charge of my life. And what that is, that's pride speaking. And we've got to be really careful about our pride. We need to make sure that our pride doesn't blind us from the, from the true ruler of all things. You know, we may, we may go on to do great things in our lives. Someone may grow up to be a famous uh, sports person. Someone may grow up to be like a CEO of a company. Someone may grow up to be president of the United States. Those are great things, and I hope everyone accomplishes their dreams. But no matter what, no matter how many great things we accomplish, we have to recognize that God is in charge, and he has the right to tell us how to live our lives. We've got to remember that. So these are the things we've got to remember whenever we whenever we go back to the real world, whenever camp is over, because camp isn't forever, and the world is different from camp. So when camp is over, we got to remember that God reveals, God rescues, and God rules. Well, maybe there's someone here this morning who's forgotten that. Maybe there's someone here this morning who's forgotten that God is the one who truly delivers, rescues us, that God is the one who truly rules, and that God is the one who truly reveals, because you've left the Lord. Maybe you want to come back to the Lord this morning. I would encourage you to do that. If you want to come back to the Lord this morning, we can help you with that, and we'd love to help you with that. Or maybe there's someone else this morning who who wants to start their walk with Christ. They want to be buried with Christ in baptism, like Romans says, and been raised to walk in newness of life. We'd love to help you with that also right now, as we stand and as we sing.